Welcome to the Leadership Network Podcast. Leadership Network is a community of multipliers who gather to collaborate, innovate, and pursue what God has next for His church. Our mission is to champion healthy growth that is capable of reproducing. Thank you for joining this conversation, and here's today's episode. Welcome to the next gathering of Microchurch Next. Uh, I'm very grateful for those of you who have joined us live. Uh, for those of you that are watching on replay or this or the podcast down the line, um, I want to welcome you on behalf of Leadership Network. Uh, Leadership Network exists to play a prophetic role within the church, helping the church sense where the Spirit of God is leading us next across the body of Christ and to help church leaders to perceive and pursue that next. And one of the themes that's been identified for this year is that of microchurches and movements of microchurches that are emerging here in the West. Uh, We've seen these movements all around the world, uh, but the spirit is doing something remarkable in so many different hearts and so many cities and so many locations. And this time and space, Tuesdays at 1230 Eastern Standard Time, we want to have catalytic conversations. Uh, every Tuesday this year. We want it to be like a fire where we can get together and you know you're not alone, uh, where we can see Jesus' presence and his leadership and every week to have a catalytic conversation with a, with an innovator, with someone who's a practitioner, um, and to help you um, pursue what Jesus is calling you to do. And uh, so here's my buddy, Brian. What's up, brother? Hey, hey. glad to be here. Yeah. yeah, man. What are we talking about today and who are we talking with? Well, we're continuing in this series of microchurches and the return of the microchurch. And it's, it's kind of one of those um, tongue-in-cheek a little bit when we say the return of the microchurch because we believe that the microchurch never really left in a sense. <laughs> no, it's, it's been just fine. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the family of God on mission uh, throughout the world, throughout history. Uh, and we, again, we've said this several times, but we believe that it's also the original design of the church. And so while we say return, what we're really trying to highlight is in the West, we want to focus again on this form of church. And we want to focus on this form of church for biblical reasons, cultural reasons, and missiological reasons. So we're in a time where, yeah, there's a, a mistrust, distrust of institution, Um, so there's this kind of cultural thing that's happening, but again, we've already highlighted biblically, like there's that original design, but then missiologically as well. What does it mean for the people of God to enter into their spaces, into their context, to be disciple makers that help people move from unbelief to belief in Jesus in every area of their life? And to see these extended families emerge in diverse pockets, unique pockets all over cities and regions and context. And so it's just it's been a joy to hang with, like you said, practitioners in so many places like we're trying to keep this like not purely in a thought plane, but down on the ground. Who are people that are at work exploring these ideas and really like getting some things that we can put our hands around and practice Mm -hmm. together. And so today, like we're moving the conversation into how do we see these micro churches emerge? Mm -hmm. So we've been talking about language, we've been talking about paradigms, but like, how do we actually see it happen? And in Kansas city, we've been exploring some of those pathways 
of how we see a microchurch emerge. And we, we have this framework that we've worked through that begins with extraordinary prayer and fasting. And when we look at movements globally and historically, we know that they're all preceded by prayer. They're all preceded by prayer and fasting. These disciple making movements that have multiple generations. I mean, we're talking double digits and beyond on generations of multiplication. And it's not just that we see them in disciple making movements. We see it in the life of Jesus. We always highlight that like before he begins his ministry, he's spending 40 days in prayer and then throughout his ministry, right? It's like, people are like, where did Jesus go? And nearly every time they ask that question, it's like, he's, he's all praying somewhere. He's trying to figure out what his father was doing. Uh, so today we get to hang with a good friend of ours who has taught us so much here in Kansas City about extraordinary prayer and fasting. And that is Lee Price. Uh, Lee works with Novo. So Lee, why don't you tell us a little about, about you, your story and what you're currently doing? Like what's your role with Novo and in that network? He's the, he's the uh, speaking. Oh, I have to interrupt. You know, we were <laughs> talking about this beforehand. Return the microchurch really Today's about return of the Jedi. <laughs> and he's, he's training prayer Jedis. Yeah. Uh, right. And everybody can be a Jedi. You don't have to be Yoda, man. That's right. That's <laughs> right. Well, I'm thrilled to be with you guys. Thanks for inviting me on. And thank you, uh, Obi-Wan Kenobi. <laughs> oh, so we, we, my journey, I'll kind of go back a little bit. We're currently serving, just to give you a brief update, we're currently serving with Novo on staff with uh, Pioneering Initiatives. Novo is a mission org uh, that has around 600 missionaries in over 100 countries around the world. But uh, I work with Pioneering Initiatives, and Pioneering Initiatives' focus is to start in the harvest. So to start, um, yeah, in primarily Western settings, we've got uh, teams in Western Europe, uh, and then we've got teams in the U.S., and we really just want to go after seeing uh, gospel movements, disciple-making movements uh, started primarily in the West. And so we work with those teams, much like in Kansas City, to, to form uh, a hub in their region that uh, helps launch gospel movement work. Uh, so that's a quick overview of, uh, of what I'm currently doing. Uh, our background into extraordinary prayer really started about 20 years ago. We were serving on a church uh, as associate pastor for a church in Northern Colorado and was doing some great things. The church uh, really had a vision for church planting. Uh, but one of the, one of the assignments that I had during that time when on staff was to lead short-term mission teams just on trips, uh, both in the U.S., overseas, and one of those trips that uh, I was assigned to lead was a trip to Bangkok and Chiang Mai, uh, Thailand. So to take a team of about 20 people over there, my uh, wife, the, the couple days before leading up to the trip, she said, I just don't have a good feeling about this trip. And, uh, you know, when your wife talks, she talks to you in that way, you know, it's not probably going to be good. It's not a good sign. Um, but uh, I said, well, I don't I don't necessarily have a good feeling about it either. And she said, I don't even know if you're going to come home from the trip. And I I said, well, it's, it's my job. Uh, I've got to do it. Um, we've got a lot of money invested here, honey, and I'm going. So uh, so I went, you know, got over to Bangkok. And uh, we were given the assignment to prayer walk the Buddhist Hindu shrines in uh, mm. in Bangkok. And 
uh, on day four of being over there, I started to get a pretty bad pain in the side of my neck and in my uh, throat. And long story short, just continued to, to get pretty sick. It was in and out of the hospital in Bangkok and just said, Lord, you know, I want to, I'll do anything. Just let me get home from this trip. It was one of those kind of desperate prayers. And I was able to come home, came back to my role in the church, and I continued to have illness over the next year. Every time I get up to preach, speak, I'd lose my voice. Had a couple of had a couple of surgeries on my throat. Started having neurological problems. About a year into that, um, some of our friends, a year after Thailand, some of our friends from Australia said, "Could we pray pray with you?" Uh, the Lord shown us some uh, something that we feel like we need to share with you um, about your trip in Thailand. So we got on uh, a call together one morning early, and they in the spirit in the spirit began to describe the elephant shrine. I hadn't told them anywhere, anything about it, describe where I got sick. And they said, we see an older demon possessed man, put a red scarf around your neck. And we see you holding up a sword, but it's not the sword of the, of the spirit. It's the sword of the flesh. And you need to repent for doing ministry in your own strength and your own power. And so that um, was really the beginning for me. I, I obviously, I, I repented, um, began to, just tell the Lord I was sorry for um, for the things that uh, I had done in my own strength and my own power where I had moved out in my own strength, and my power. And I just said, I want to learn how to operate from a place of your spirit, a place of dependence, a place of, of prayer, a deeper abiding. And so I really began to shift how I operated and I began to just spend time every every morning, long amounts of time with the Lord. And one of the things he began to show me was these movements that he was doing around the world. He showed me how he was multiplying these small groups of people um, uh, just in extraordinary ways all over the world. And, uh, and I asked the Lord, I said, God, why are you doing it this way? Why are you multiplying these small bands of disciples, movements, people? And he said, as clear as day, he said, I'm taking back the headship of my church. He said, you can't point to one, um, one woman or one man as the head of this movement. I'm the, I'm the head of this movement. And, uh, and then he, he really began to show me that he had birthed two prayer movements. He had birthed uh, two 24-7 prayer movements on two continents uh, at, in the same month of the same year. And uh, that uh, was another thing he showed me that he had birthed this 24-7 prayer movement by Pete Gregg in the UK. And then he birthed the other one, which you guys are very familiar with, with IHOP and a 24-7 prayer movement there in Kansas City. Well, both of those prayer movements are still going today. Mm-hmm. And so those that, that had a huge impact on me that God was in this, um, you know, really calling his, his, his people to, to prayer. And so um, we... Here in Western Colorado is where we're at. We've been here for 17 years, and we've really been going after uh, one, you know, extraordinary prayer and fasting has been um, something that we've we've gone after, and and we've also said, well, what what does it look like for us to have both individual prayer rhythms, and then what does it look like for us to have community, these predictable, we call them predictable patterns or, or prayer rhythms around extraordinary prayer, fasting, and repentance as a community. And so some of those, um, some of those rhythms that we've pressed into heavily have been um, early morning prayer has been uh, one of the big ones. 
And early morning prayers look like, uh, you know, people getting together before they go off to work, mostly in person. Sometimes it's by phone um, when it, when geographically you just can't do it. And just spending time with Jesus together and praying, listening, uh, seeking the Lord together. So uh, Lee, let, uh, me, let me ask a question. I know that you're part of a network of microchurches there in Colorado. So I'm assuming um, when, when you're talking about building these corporate rhythms of extraordinary prayer and fasting, you're, you're putting an invite out to the folks that are part of that network uh, to make early morning prayer a priority. And that's something we learned from you all. We do that as well here in Kansas city. We have a, it's usually 6 30 AM. So um, Mondays we focus on gospel saturation in the city. Tuesdays we focus on praying for the nations within our city. Wednesdays, um, there's actually two gatherings. There's one at 6.30, and then there's another one at 7.30 a.m. that's focused on students. And now there's a student-led one on Thursday morning. Awesome. Um, I'm curious, like, do, do you guys have a focus like that um, for, or do you have multiple days? Um, the way it's emerged is it started with Monday here, and that God kept burdening other people for specific focuses and, and kept adding days. Um, so... I'm just curious, like, tell the story um, of how that emerged and uh, and what does it look like throughout the week? Yeah. So for us, it emerged out of studying the Moravians. Mm. So we were really uh, captivated by how the Moravians, uh, you know, had a couple of things as a community. They had these the, their 24-7 prayer room. Then they had what they, you know, what call the daily text that they would, um, you know, read the same scriptures together as a community. So even though they may be meeting in smaller bands uh, of groups, much like what you're describing, you know, and in our microchurch networks, they're all meeting in smaller bands and various sizes, but they've got some common, um, common things that they're holding in common as a community. So one of those would be the daily text. And then one of those for us would be the early morning prayer time that early morning prayer time. And it's, and it's for us, it's not so much focused on a specific theme other than there's the daily text, there's worship. So we would have worship, the daily text, and then prayer. Um, those three things a lot of times are happening in the early morning prayer times. They may read, briefly read the daily text together, spend a little time of worship together, and then, um, and then pray together. Um, and spend time just praying for each other in their their different contexts or the things that God's put on their heart. Now, it's gone as much as we've had it as go as much as six days a week when it's been really hot, and we have had it drop down to one or two days a week. Right now, it's currently going at two mornings a week in our region. Cross microchurch, you know, pollinated with people from different microchurches are that gives them a chance as well to to kind of cross pollinate in those early morning prayer times. Beautiful. It's super helpful. Just for those that are listening right now, you know, I encourage you to actually ask the Holy Spirit to give you direction on this. What what role does early morning prayer a pray play in your life personally? What is the Lord calling you to? What would it mean for your microchurch family? Or if you have a network of microchurch families, there's a also a very deep history of early morning prayer in the life of the church. And then you look at all these great disciple-making movements that have become church planning movements. Uh, like I know my um, 
you know, my mentors in India, you know, it's just, yeah, we're up at four 30. This is what we do. First two hours. It was like, Oh, okay. I I'm, I'm asleep at four 30. <laughs> gotcha. How often you guys do that? Uh, what do you mean? We do that every morning. Every morning. You know, my uh, friend, Albert Tennyson, I don't know if you met Albert. He leads a movement in India. But, you know, he, he told me, first and foremost, you need to be a prayer movement. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Don't try to figure anything else out. That's right. Until you figure that out. So I just want to drop that little seed in there for, again, we're not just here to, you know, content encourage y'all to be asking the lord what he's asking you to do and i also love the grace that's in your guys pattern where it's like sometimes it was six mornings and sometimes it's two and we try to we're trying to not be religious about it we're trying to be led by the spirit and keep reevaluating the rhythms and the patterns i think that's really important well i think the thing that it it does is is there going to be seasons where things get hot spiritually Mm-hmm. And it'll, it'll pick up. And when it gets hot, we, we want it to have, we want it to, you know, be able to organically in a sense, if it needs to go to six days or six days and nights of prayer, that's awesome because the spirit's moving. Mm-hmm. Um, and then there's other seasons where it's, it drops off. It's not as hot, but when it's not as hot, we need to keep positioning ourselves well. Yeah. So what we've learned is we can't, we can't make it be hot spiritually um, God's got to pour the, pour the fuel mm-hmm. on that, mm-hmm. but we can position ourselves well. And we've had in 17 years in Western Colorado, we've had three hot seasons. Mm-hmm. So we've had our, our longest season was a year and a half of it really being spiritually hot. And that involved about 30 churches in the region. So mm-hmm. they, they caught the vision of early morning prayer. It spread from a handful awesome. of people in a micro church network to you know, to the larger body of Christ. That's amazing. So, so I think we just gotta, we gotta see where, what's God doing when it gets hot, really fan the flame, let it run. And when it may be, maybe it's a cooler season, we're just going to position ourselves well. So positioning ourselves with early morning prayer, positioning ourselves with 24 seven prayer. And a lot of times with 24 seven prayer, it's running maybe a one 24 hour period, or maybe it's running a three day 24 seven period. It's not trying to fill up necessarily, you know, 24, seven, 365 days out of the year, that would be awesome to get there. But maybe we start with just a few of those emphasis and let God stoke that. Uh, Because, because what I found with 24, seven prayer, we started seeing this is people would go into the prayer room one way and they would almost this, when they initially went in, they would come out of the prayer room. And oftentimes they were, they, they were weeping. Mm. I, and I was like, what is going on? I watched this happen over and over again. And finally I started asking people, why'd you go in one way and come out another way in the prayer room? And, uh, and what the answer was regularly was I hadn't gotten still Mm. or God I hadn't gotten still before a holy God is basically what it is in our culture. We're so going that we don't do that. And so 24 seven prayer, oftentimes having an emphasis on that, helps us get still before a holy God. And then we, you know, then he deals with us. Then he begins to change us and, and do yeah. things he can do. But I would say that's another key, you know, um, rhythm that uh, we found to be uh, very helpful, 24-7 prayer. 
Yeah, Lee, I know you guys have trained us on, you know, a couple of different types of press. Sorry, I'm shifting gears a little bit. You've, there's like this, I, I'm hearing you say that they're getting still and, you know, they're slowing down before this holy God, God begins to deal with them. I know so often with our experience in prayer, at least m- my background was like, I have my things and I'm bringing my things to you. Uh, and that's a part of it. Um, but there's this piece of listening that if we, if we miss out on that piece and we're just talking out, we can never fully hear what God wants to say to us. And that's so much a part of prayer. And so, you know, we've learned this piece of listening prayer and this piece of contending prayer from you. And I just want to like jump into that a little bit, like spend some time on listening prayer, talk about what it is, some, maybe some tools, what it's shown you. Um, and then, can spend a little bit of time on the contending or blessing prayers as well. So both of those kind of breathing in and breathing out type prayers. So yeah, share a little bit about like listening prayer, how it's brought you in alignment for God's plan for Western Colorado, maybe some stories out of that. Yeah. So listening prayer for us would a simple way to remember it is we just would have our palms, you know, our palms up and being in a posture where, we want, you know, God's rule and reign uh, to come to earth, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And the best way for your kingdom to come, your rule and your reign is your kingdom to come and to happen is by us aligning with uh, through listening to him and how he wants to bring his kingdom. You know, we real, we've realized, and a lot of this was off of my Thailand experience, I, re- I realized that uh that God was way better at fulfilling the great commission than, than we ever would be. He also cares way more about the great commission being fulfilled than we would. And he also has a much better strategy for completing the great commission than we would. So he's got all of that. So we've got to posture ourselves again in a place to hear and listen so that we in turn can uh, step into what it is he has. We like to say kind of our motto is, is listen and obey and teach others to do the same. And so we want to, we want to really become good listeners to what the Lord is doing. An example for that would be like, for me, when I, when I had that experience coming off of Thailand, um, I'd position myself in prayer. And what happens when we do that is God then puts his heartbeat inside of us. He begins to change us. And so if you're going to go out prayer walking or you're going to go out on mission into these missional spaces that God wants you to go into, that he's leading you to go into, you want to do it from, from a place of, of deep abiding and him changing and doing a deep work inside of us first. Um, and so he began to do that in me and he began to give me a heart for the homeless. He started putting the homeless on my heart, not a group of people that I had ever spent any time with, not a group of people that I probably would have gone to or felt a, a urge to go to unless God gave that to me in, in listening prayer. So he began to put that on my heart. And I, I went out and I started looking for the homeless. They weren't in the one community I was currently living in. So I went over to Glenwood Springs, one community over and found the homeless under the, under the bridges, found them in the parks and began to talk to them. And they said, you need to go to room 105 of the Silver Spruce Motel in Glenwood Springs. Two or three homeless told me this. I was like, well, I better go to room 105. So I went over to room 105, knocked on the door. This little old lady um, comes to the door of the hotel room. I told her I was praying. God told me to hang out with the homeless. I met them in the parks. They told me to come over here. 
She said, well, I'm a retired social worker from Chicago. She said, I gave my life to Christ a year ago and he told me to feed his sheep. So I took the beds out of this hotel room and I started feeding the homeless. But I told God if I was going to do this, that I needed somebody that knew the Bible and that could help teach the Bible to these homeless guys. Wow. She said, well, you're that guy. You're an answer to that prayer. <laughs> wow. Spent three, um, three years in that hotel room with the homeless. And God showed me uh, that he was already at work. He was already at work in my region. He was already doing things way before I even got there. But I had to listen. I learned to listen so that I in turn could step into what, um, you know, what it is that he, he was doing. Another example of this would be um, prayer walking. Listening has become a huge part of, of prayer walking for us and the starting place for prayer walking we were doing some listening prayer as a community and the Lord put a, a local high school on our heart. And so we, um, we asked the Lord, okay, what's going on in this high school started asking around and the Lord began to show us a picture of a, a big dead tree with Jesus in a field with the big dead tree in it. And Jesus was sowing seeds in this field and there were crows up in the tree and they were, they were dipping down out of the tree and just snatching up the seed as Jesus would sow it. Well, we had talked to people at the school and they just said, we can't get any traction at this school with the gospel or with, with things of the Lord in the school. We've got a lot of sexting going on. We've got a lot of drugs. We've got a lot of problems. So we asked the, we asked the Lord, we said, well, what strategy do you want us Lord to take to, to, to claim this school for your kingdom? And as we listened, the Lord uh, began to, to tell us, he said, I want you to go kind of like Jericho, go seven days straight, seven mornings straight and prayer walk around the school. And so the team of people went, began to prayer walk. The school is about five or six people, not a large group. And on the fifth day, we got a call from the principal of the high school. And she said, we heard that you guys were prayer walking. This is a public school in Western Colorado. We heard you're prayer walking the school and uh, we want to. Um, we're so thankful for that. We want to give you the keys to go inside the school. So the principal came over and gives us the keys. We go inside the school. And uh, now we get to prayer walk on day six, uh, the inside of the school and cleanse and shift the atmosphere on the inside of the school. The Lord also told us, he said to invite, this is another example, of listening prayer in this instance. He said, invite an older gentleman from your community to come and join you on day seven. So we called uh, this older gentleman who's a believer, invited him to come. He came on day seven. You can picture uh, an older guy that comes out of his truck, Western Colorado man, says, why you guys invite me here? You know, and uh, we said, well, we've been pray walk, prayer walking for six days. Lord highlighted you. We feel like God's reclaiming the school for his kingdom. And the guy said, well, I think I know why I'm here. He said, I was on the school board when we purchased the property for this school. He said, I wrote the check to, to purchase the property for the school. He said, I think I have some spiritual authority in this place. Mm -hmm. He begins to um, go back to his truck, get his shofar, um, come back over to the school, blow his shofar. Have shofar, we'll travel. Bless the, bless the property. Oh, fast forward two months later, I get a call from the principal and she said, I don't know what you guys did with your whole prayer walking thing. She said, but this school is a different place. She said, we in two months, we haven't had one disciplinary issue in the school, in the high school. She said, our office staff is bored. I got a call from the Fellowship of Christian Athletes, uh, the guy that leads that on the campus. He said, you're not going to believe what's happened this year in Fellowship of Christian Athletes. He said, we usually run about 10 kids in that. 
Now we're now we're running over a hundred kids. We've had to move out of the lunchroom, uh, you know, classroom into the gymnasium because we have so many kids. Uh, have over 16, 17 discovery Bible studies that have started there in the last three years. We now have a majority of the staff that are believers at this high school. I mean, the, the atmosphere is completely different, but it started with listening prayer. And I think, uh, again, it's us getting our assignments, our missional spaces to even clarity about how the Lord wants us to take that space for the kingdom. Amen. You know, you, you said something in the beginning that was really, I think, important. I want to underscore you talked about celebrating the headship of Jesus. Mm -hmm. And we do that theologically, philosophically. Yet often our systems and current practices demonstrate that our true belief is that a pastor or a tiny group of leaders are in reality the real head. Um, and one of the ways I think that we can do sort of a heart check on that, you know, is to ask what level of pervasiveness does prayer play? in um, our decision-making, um, our ideation. And, and you're, you're, what you're showing here in a very practical way is um, how through prayer we access the headship of Jesus, like through in these little circles of corporate discernment and prayer, reflection upon this, the scriptures, um, that we can actually actualize the headship of Jesus, his leadership. Yeah. Um, and I just, again, want to invite every, any, anyone who's listening to right now to just think about, um, like when it comes time to quote unquote plan, yeah, you know, where, where do we begin, you know, and it, it's so easy to begin with just human strategizing and, uh, like you so transparently confessed, you know, like we have certain capacities and I can just kick them into gear. Um, and I think one of the primary ways of um, doing a heart check is asking like, how much space do I create for silence and listening? Mm -hmm. You know, so I want to ask you practically, um, you know, in, in Kansas City Underground, we have a, under listening prayer, we have some tools that we use. Like one of them is the prayer of examine. Um, where we've created like an audio guide to guide someone through it when they're just beginning a PDF training video. And we challenge people. It's like, Hey, if you, if you try the prayer examine, let's say at least three times a week and you do it for six weeks, see what happens to your capacity to hear the voice of God. Yeah. Just try it for six weeks. So that's one tool we use. I'm curious, like what are the tools that you're using that you've seen be really helpful or effective? when it comes to helping people learn how to listen. Mm -hmm. So the simplest tool we use is actually something I got from uh, John White uh, at Luke 10. I don't know if you're familiar with Luke 10, but he's got a, a great ministry. It's a great chapter in the Bible. If that's what great you mean. Chapter in the Bible. <laughs> Bible. Um, but Luke, Luke 10, he, he, his, his ministry model that we ad adapted a tool from, and it's really simple is you quiet yourself um, first thing. And I feel like that's a big step that we've got to learn how to do that. I had to learn how to do, and I still have to continually work on is quiet, quiet ourselves. This would, I guess, be the first step. Second step is fix our eyes on Jesus. So 
really going from Hebrews chapter 12, you know, that's those first few verses where we, we fix our eyes on Jesus, who is the author and perfecter. He's the author and perfecter. And he knows that, like I said earlier, he knows what strategies need to happen. He knows what's going to happen. He knows um, what needs to shift inside of us. And so we've got to align with by fixing our eyes on him. And what does that look like? You know, that could be um, picturing Jesus, literally picturing that could be just uttering the name of Jesus. Uh, one of the one of the guys that taught me how to pray um, in in the early days was he said we're just going to utter the name Jesus until his presence begins to come, and so uttering the name Jesus, so fixing our eyes on Jesus, and then listening for, you know, listening for spontaneous uh, words from the Holy Spirit. That could be words from Scripture. That could be um, a picture that He gives us, like I like I gave of the picture of the tree. Um, the tree and, you know, the um, Jesus sowing in the field. And what's interesting about the tree is the last thing at that high school that uh, we uh, saw was this big stump on campus. There was a big black stump that represented the Titan mascot of the high school. Well, we felt like that mascot needed to go. We felt like it was, it's like an eight foot mascot, but it represented the black, you know, the dead tree in the vision so, um, so we weren't going to just go steal a mascot off of, you know, when we're prayer walking off of a campus, but we said, God, do whatever you need to do to remove it. Well, about three months ago, I got a call from the principal again. And she said, it's gone. I said, what's gone. She said, the mascot's gone. She said the seniors did a senior prank day and they went in there with massive tools and took up the mascot and they were going to try to put it inside the school as a practical joke. Couldn't get it in the school in any door. It was too big. Ended up putting it in the um, in the principal's parking spot, designated parking spot school, and she had it hauled off to the landfill. It's gone. So you know, again, that that look listening. So the first step is we're going to quiet ourselves. Second step, we're going to fix our eyes on Jesus. Third step is we're going to listen for words. We're going to listen for any any pictures or visions. Then we're going to write those things down. We're going to journal those things, and we're going to get confirmation. So the last step is we're going to journal get confirmation with others in the body of Christ to make sure this is, this is the Lord speaking here. And, and I would say that's become a very important step is getting confirmation on the things that we sense the Lord is saying. And, and we, we say it that way. We say, we sense the Lord is saying this. I sense God is saying, it's not thus saith the Lord. It's I sense God speaking this. And I submit that to now a group of people, at least one other believer, maybe, maybe more, and, and then we, when we know it's of the Lord, we obey. And I would say that's been the biggest thing of our network in Western Colorado is, is when we know it's of God, then they'll bet the farm on it. I mean, uh, we, for example, we had, we had uh, the Lord spoke to us about the Karamajong people group in Uganda, mm-hmm. said he wanted to bring his kingdom there. And we had three families that sold all their possessions and moved to Karamoja you know, within about three to four months, because that's what the Lord said to do after they went through this process. So it could be as big of a thing as going to a people group somewhere, or it could be, you know, God saying, I'm going to take this space, this missional space. So those would be some of the steps we use for listening. I want to highlight one thing um, that I think is really important, the the discernment process Mm -hmm. and, and holding with an open hand. You know, I love that phrase. I sense this is what the Lord is saying. 
And I think this is where it ties back into um, micro churches. Yeah. What I love about micro church is they're, um, again, the, the specific number. Sometimes people are like, how many people are in a micro church? Well, it might be five, it might be 50. There's not an exact number, but it's more that social space down to the personal space where it's tribe, where it's family, where you're known. Um, the goal is to be an everyday gospel community. So we're living into the one another's, we're bearing each other's burdens. It's the perfect environment to be able to do that kind of discernment. Yeah. The trust part. Clarity. Because yeah. Brian knows me enough where it's like, if I'm kind of going cattywampus or sideways on something versus a lot of times when we're evaluating the prophetic in the past, it's been done in like tents and auditoriums. There's yeah. one person on a microphone, someone's getting a word over here. And it's like, how do you do discernment? Like, yeah. It's very difficult because it, it's a crowd setting and crowd setting is you can only do discernment at a personal level, you, you know, and real discernment involves conversation, reflection on scripture. Brian, go ahead, man. You got something. Yeah. Well, I was just listening to the story and like to call the elephant in the room or the Titan in the room or whatever. It's like some of the stories you're saying stretch the theological frameworks, boundaries of a lot of us. <laughs> just mainly I would say because we don't come from traditions necessarily that have experienced it, not because we don't believe that God wants to move in that way, but because we haven't fully experienced it. So even here in some of your earlier stories, like my, you know, internally, it's like, okay, like, remember I have experienced these things and I believe in them and I see the power in them listening and discerning the voice of the spirit. But like, for some people, it's like, I don't know about some of those things you said, but then when you come back to these steps, that last piece in there was like, that was like, so affirming to say, like, I think I'm hearing this and I just want to offer this to somebody else to confirm it. And then, you know, one of the things that we train on, Rob, you may have said this already. It's like, the more we lean in with those yeses to like, I had this picture and I wrote it down and I offered it to somebody else and they confirmed it. The more it confirms in me, like I'm, I'm beginning to discern what his voice sounds like. And so the next time that I enter into this space and I, I think I've heard this again and I offer that to someone else and it's confirmed, it's like, I'm learning more of what my father sounds like when he speaks. And I, I remember sitting with our friends at the Tampa underground and, and going through some training with them on this and just sitting in little groups of three and sharing a, a bit of our story and entering into this space of prayer. And that that's basically the practice was like, just do this with your kind of like your triad at the base of your micro churches to regularly practice moments where you sit together and you pray, and then you just sit in silence and wait. And then when Jesus through the spirit may give you a word or an image or a passage of scripture, uh, I remember our friend, Jeremy, he, he said, offer whatever that is that comes offer it this way. Uh, Lee, I think I'm getting this. Does this make sense to you? Yeah. And then just be willing to say, no, yeah. <laughs> that doesn't. and that's okay. That's not, it doesn't mean that you've, you know, you're way off base or heretical. It's just like, that's okay. But in those moments where uh, it is confirmation, 
it's a, a joyful place of discernment. And, you know, we teach this very basic prayers of Jesus, where are you at work and how can I join you? Yeah. And we always say, when you pray that, yeah. stop and listen afterwards. Don't say, Jesus, where are you at work? How can I join you? But Jesus, where are you at work? And just stop. You know, often in our working, it's like, please bless this thing I'm going to do because I'm pretty sure it's what I'm supposed to do rather than all of your stories have been, I'm getting my assignment and then I move. Mm -hmm. So I don't, I'm I'm trying to look at our time here. It's like, I want to hit some of that contending prayer as well, or um, and the intersection of those things, because it's like, once we have that, like, how do we move in a breathing out or or moving into new spaces in prayer? Mm -hmm. Yeah, so I think the the intersection, we say the intersection for mission happens at the intersection of what we what we've just been talking about, listening prayer. You can also, you know, contemplative prayer has been another term for that, um, with contending prayer. So contending prayer, when contending prayer and listening prayer intersect, that's where we find the mission of God oftentimes at those two places. And so contending prayer would be palms out where we're contending uh, to see a shift in the spiritual realm directed through listening prayer, through listening prayer, through hearing and getting our strategies. Like I gave the story of the high school, but then we're contending for the kingdom to come and shift. So in the unseen realm, We're going to shift the unseen realm with God leading us in this process. And and as the unseen realm shifts in the spiritual realm to where the Lord and his his angels, his presence, begins his rule, his reign begins to, to overtake that space or that people group, that group of people. Then we're going to see as a result of that, it's, it's much easier for um, disciple making. It's much easier for microchurch formation. We're going to see then uh, much easier to operate in the things of the Lord. Kingdom values begin to emerge. You're gonna, we're going to see transformation, kingdom transformation as a result of that. And so what I like to, to really hit on here is a lot of times we think, yeah, we don't have maybe disciple making movement until we're four generations deep in strands of disciples, but we do have movement in the spiritual realm with, you know, extraordinary prayer and fasting. We are seeing movement in the spiritual realm. Things are movementally shifting and changing and it's laying groundwork for disciple making movement. So it's, it's preparing us to see disciple making movement and microchurch formation, but contending prayer really gets into that shift. So what does that look like? Um, Contending prayer looks like a good example would be we, we, we go to an apartment complex and we want to claim that complex for the kingdom. We want to see that shift. So we click quickly start to notice in the physical realm, a couple things are going on in the physical realm. We notice there's uh, there's basketball goals, but there's no backboards. There's a gazebo and there's no um, picnic tables. There's a swing set. There's no swing sets. There's a swimming pool. There's no water in it. There's drugs flowing out of 
these three apartments, we can see the drugs moving and flowing. And we begin to identify there's children running around everywhere, but there's nothing. So we begin to see what are the needs in the physical realm. And then we begin to bridge the gap between the now and the not yet in declarative prayer. We begin to, we begin to declare, declare the things that need to change and shift in the spiritual realm over that place. So we be, and, and this is done oftentimes, obviously contending prayer is oftentimes done through prayer walking, through being on site in those locations and uh, becoming very well acquainted with those locations or those groups of people that God being around those groups of people where God is wanting to shift that environment through contending. So uh, that, that would just kind of be a quick, you know, overview of contending prayer. Um, I mean, we could go into more, you know, more of it, but that's just kind of giving more of the palms out and seeing that shift in spiritual realm. Yeah. We talked earlier about, um, you know, the, the corporate rhythms of early morning prayer, 24 seven prayer. Um, I know fasting will intersect contending prayer. So what, why don't we want to unpack that like personal fasting, corporate rhythms of fasting and how that energizes contending prayer? Mm-hmm. Well, I think it, I think as Jesus says, you know, uh, with, with that, some of these demon, demons are going to move uh, with, with only with fasting. I mean, that fasting, fasting is a, is a great tool for breakthrough. So fasting uh, in the contending side of things is going to uh, help us with uh, being able to get breakthrough in areas that we maybe are stuck or we've got spiritual strongholds that um, that we need. You know, the Lord, again, to me, fasting is another way of positioning ourselves for God to bring breakthrough. Amen. So what are the corporate rhythms or practices of fasting look like? For so, you on your micro church network. So it's been it's been designated days of fasting where we have designated days. It's been seasons of fasting for breakthrough. So it's either rhythms of fasting where as a network we've set days where we have these certain days uh, of the week where we're fasting regularly. And then it's also been we we need breakthrough in this space. We need breakthrough with this people group. So that's more of a intensified time of fasting till, you know, till we get, you know, begin to get breakthrough um, until we get uh, the others. Sometimes it's, it's, it's not just breakthrough. It's until we get power from heaven. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we, we talk a lot about um, spirit in at salvation, but spirit on uh, is something that you see throughout the book. Spirit comes upon us. Well, we found that fasting also is another key tool to bringing spirit on to, to allowing the spirit to come on us. We see it in Acts chapter two, obviously, but then it's not a one-time thing. We see it in Acts chapter four. Again, they, they get together. They have extraordinary prayer. Don't know if fasting was taking place, but we see spirit on. We see it at Antioch again, where they send out, they prayed, they fasted, then spirit comes on and they know who to send to go on mission. You see it with the, you know, send, the sending out there. So, so fasting being an, another key part for seasons like the church at Antioch to, to get clarity on sending. Amen. We're uh, we have a Tuesdays today mm-hmm. is our day of extraordinary prayer and fasting. And, and we typically issue a prayer guide 
because we're we're wanting to bring all the beams together around a particular theme. Mm. Cool. And um, one of the themes that the Lord has brought to the surface for this year is out of Zechariah 12, where it says the Lord poured out a spirit of grace and supplication on his people. And it's kind of this look into the future of the messianic kingdom and God reviving his people and then a spiritual awakening pouring out. And so just, I I know we don't have a lot of time left, um, but can you just speak to that cycle of revival and spiritual awakening? And um, what, what is the Lord saying to you all right now about, where we're at in the church in America, where we're at with these kind of emerging movements of disciple making and micro churches and prayer, um, you know, get your profit on man. Like what, (laughs) what is the Lord saying to you that you would like to share with us about this particular moment in time and uh, it's intersection with prayer. Well, I'm going to obviously speak more from the Western world. I mean, I, I do have, some, you know, there's harvest happening in great ways in other parts of the world. And, uh, and I think with that, we, I'm just so thrilled for what God is right now, what God's doing in the Middle East through our, through our um, Novo mission org is just mind blowing. Um, We've got movement. And I think last time I heard 26 countries in the Middle East, Middle East didn't start to move up into Europe. It's through the middle, you know, um, Muslim, through the Muslim world. And, and we got to be partnering where there's great harvest. I mean, there's obviously um, great harvest happening still in, in Asia and India. I mean, we've got several places where there's still great harvest and we've got Africa. We've got a lot of harvest there. So I, I don't want to minimize that in the com- in, in your question, because I think when that's happening, the going's good. We got to get it. So, I mean, there's right good on. harvest there. So we got to be about that. But but my heart is really about rewinning the West. And we, I do feel like it, a lot of things we've been learning, it's been just like chipping away, just like chipping away for movement in the West. And um, where I am most excited right now in the West is I feel like the church is awakening, at least a remnant of the church is awakening to their spiritual authority of who they are in Christ and um, getting some of the basic tools to uh to be equipped to step into who they are in christ to 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 take ground from the enemy themselves to begin to take ownership in that i think you guys have done i mean to me you guys are front runners on this you guys do the are some of the best at creating systems for this i think the kansas city underground is just doing a a phenomenal job at this but uh, we've got something in novo called our spiritual authority cohorts right now that um, I was just with a group of people last weekend. And the most encouraging thing I walked away with was um, a bunch of fresh stories for, from people that mm. maybe had a coming out of a cessation background uh, theology. Um, and that, you know, to be honest, I come out of a Southern Baptist background. So I'm, I, when you were talking earlier, Brian, that's my background. And, uh, and I so love my roots and I so love my background and we're still very, we're still a part of, I'm not, you guys would say, you know, are you still connected? Yeah. I'm still connected to Colorado Baptist connected to my, my brothers and sisters in great ways. Our network is, uh, connected to them, but we've also realized that the, that the Holy spirit, um, and what God wants to do with both pouring out his spirit 
and how his spirit works, it is the same today as it was in the book of Acts. Mm -hmm. And so um, we have, you know, we're seeing people step into that reality and, 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 and with that really have fresh stories and encounters of supernatural, of becoming basically what we call priestly prayer, priests over their workplace, taking that ownership. And then that leads to cultural engagement and disciple making that leads to then the next step. So I see we're moving that direction. People are taking ownership, everyday people taking ownership in the places God's put them. So to me, that's the most exciting thing I'm, I'm seeing right now. And I just want to, I want to fan the flame on that one. Yeah. I, while you were talking, I was thinking about just some of the trainings we've led recently and helping people begin to just bless the people in their neighborhood or network, like a simple tool of I'm, I'm not praying for broken places. I'm not necessarily praying for some great need. They are choosing five people and five minutes a day. They're just praying blessing into their life. Like just like Peter and John at the gate, you know, like I don't have silver or gold. What I have, I give to you in the name of Jesus. And I'm praying blessing into your life. Mm-hmm. And the stories that consistently come out of that, every time I lead one of those trainings a week later, two weeks later, people come back and they go, man, like I haven't even reached out to this person. They reached out to me and said, Hey, can we grab coffee? I had this thing I wanted to ask you about Jesus. Or uh, I was praying blessing into the life of this person that I haven't seen in whatever, two months. And they just texted me yesterday. <laughs> you know, it's just like uh, the crazy stories of come. And we always say that it's like, when you start praying, uh, another tool we use is bless every home, uh, go to bless They send you five names of neighbors just to begin to pray for people. And the number of stories of people saying, I started praying for my neighbors. And then I just keep running into them when I'm out walking. And they're like, Hey, I'm so-and-so. And And it's Rob always says like, I know, I don't want to tell you that I know your name already. um, Yeah. So just to connect that, I know we only have a a few minutes left, but just to connect that in light of uh, extraordinary prayer precedes movements, but it it comes before disciple making and before micro churches ever emerge. And Mm -hmm. if we don't commit radically to return to the space of like, I'm just going to pray. You know, like even recently, just in even in our own neighborhood, I, I just had this experience Sunday morning. I shared it with our little microchurch family. I was like, I, I feel like Jesus told me in that little prayer space, he said, you're going to see movement in this neighborhood, but you need to labor in prayer. I just journaled that, shared that with them. And it's like I wrote afterwards, it's like it's not a labor in the sense of it's hard or I mean, it might be, but like burdensome it's not burdensome but just to come before him and like labor in that way for for what he wants to do not what i want to do yeah that's good well lee listen if people i know we've got uh two couples that are directors in the underground that are actually in that cohort you mentioned if people want to sign up for that cohort or find out more information about it where do they go so if they go to novo.org they can, you know, get information on the spiritual authority cohorts by, I, I, I believe they should be able to get information right on that site, but they could also call, I can give you the number, it's 714-779-0370 to call our office 
And our office then would be able to get them signed up for those cohorts. And what's great is what we're seeing about these cohorts is, is they're working really well for, for folks also in, in conventional churches, as well as folks that are in micro churches. So it can be done either way. And especially if you're wanting to, to, to take a shift in your more conventional church towards the workplace, towards your missional space, the spiritual authority cohort is going to give you a, a great first step towards that. And then what you guys have as the missionary pathway kind of, we would say the spiritual authority cohort kind of precedes that mm-hmm. for people and helps people. And then they step into to the missionary pathway uh, that you guys have created um, as a good like next step, because, okay, now I've got the activating prayer. I've got the extraordinary prayer tools in my belt and I'm, I'm well equipped to do that. But the, one of the biggest mistakes that we've learned through the years is, is we want to make sure our extraordinary prayer efforts, you know, are tied to disciple making movements. So they're not done. It's not done in isolation. So we've got to know then is if we're going to shift an environment, well, now how do we harvest that environment? How do we make disciples in that environment? How do we identify person's peace? You guys, you guys know all this, but I think that is a, that's a mistake we've made at times is not being intentional. We'll do a ton of that work and then, um, and then not being intentional with disciple making. Mm-hmm. Um, so you gotta, you know, you want to have that next step. So that kind of gives a progression. So. Amen. So helpful. And I'm, I'm going to ask you to uh, pray for us in a second, but I just want to remind everyone who's here. Thank you again for being a part of this conversation today. Mm-hmm. I encourage you to spend some time in listening prayer, following this, um, asking the Lord to, guide and direct you on what your next step is. Um, Lee also wrote an accompanying article. Um, so if you go to the leadership network website and just uh, you can put, just type in, in the search prayers, the fuel, and you'll find that they're super helpful. Uh, so with that said, uh, Lee, would you pray for us? Yeah. I just want to bless you guys with three things. I want to bless you with the ability to listen well. Mm. And so everybody right now that's listening, I want to, uh, bless you with with ears to hear well what the Lord is is speaking to you about your your missional spaces. I want to bless you with the ability to pray hard that you can, you know, ask, seek and knock the things that the Lord has put on your heart. What doors do you need God to open so you could pray hard into the things? And lastly, I just I want to bless you that you could dream big, that you could declare over your neighborhoods, your networks or your city what's true when the kingdom has finally transformed everything in those spaces, what will it look like on earth as it is in heaven if you, as you declare it? Dream big and begin to declare those things. Amen. Amen. Thank you so much, Lee. Yeah, good to be with you guys. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Leadership Network podcast and joining the conversation for what is next for the church and its leaders. We look forward to connecting with you as we bring our questions, contribute our wisdom, and pursue what is next. Visit leadnet.org for more resources, information about leader cohorts, and more. That is leadnet.org.